Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Philip Yancey, in his book on prayer, tells the story about a, a tourist, a visitor to Jerusalem. And he's going and seeing all the different sites. And he goes to the Western Wall, or what is sometimes called the Wailing Wall, um, where devout Jews are, are gathering and praying and just up against the wall and bobbing their heads and whatnot. And he, after um, watching one particular um, very devout um, prayer come away from the Wailing Wall, um, he, he went to him and he said, you know, I'm just, I'm curious, I'm, I'm interested. You, you seem very devout and it looks like you come here like every day. Um, what is it that you pray for? And he said, well, I pray, I pray for justice. I pray for righteousness. I pray for health for my family. Um, I pray for peace in this world. I pray for peace in Jerusalem. And, and so the tourist said to him, well, um, are these prayers effective? He said, it's like talking to a wall. Apparently, I found that a little funnier than the rest of you did. But. <laughs> but sometimes it feels that way. I think every one of us in this room from time to time have felt what sometimes is called the strange silence of God. And we wonder, is God hearing our prayers? Is God responding anyway? Why am I doing this? Am I, am I doing it the right way? Am I doing it the wrong way? Should I be praying in King James English? Should I be kneeling? Should I be standing? How, How come... It seems like so often my prayers just seem to be met with silence. And a lot of the times we take the blame on ourselves. There must be something we are doing wrong. And, and I think there's, there's more to it than that. Um, this, the, this morning we're going to be looking at two stories that Jesus told. Because Jesus actually taught his disciples how to pray. They came and asked him, how teach us to pray. And he did, but he, he gave us a model um, not just something to recite. He gave us a model, but then not a whole lot of rules and, and instructions regarding that. Mostly what he gave us was pictures. He told stories. He told parables to help us understand what is going on in prayer. And, and, and we're going to look at two of those this morning. We've looked at, you might remember back in um, November, we looked at a couple of these parables. This morning we're looking at a couple of more as we're going through the book of Luke. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18... We're going to look at two of them this morning that, that might seem a little like, what do these two have to do with each other besides the fact of prayer? Um, and I want to kind of unpack them a little bit and take a look at them. We're going to start actually with the second parable and work our way forward. But let me read them both to you. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in this town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus told these parables, these stories, to give us a picture of prayer. And, and the second one I want to take a look at first, because it's a little bit easier to understand, and then we're going to move back forward and, and look at the, that first one. But there's a couple of things. It's like, it's like Jesus is telling these stories, and he's saying, listen, if you want to know the kinds of prayers that God hears, this is what they're like. Let me, let me tell you a story to help you better understand. This is the kind of prayer God listens for. And so he tells these two stories. And, he, and he's trying to correct some of the misperceptions that they and we sometimes have about prayer. And the first thing he wants us to understand is when it comes to prayer, the kind of prayers that God hears, God hears prayers that are prayed in honesty. He's looking for us to come to him just the way that we are. That, that he says, I, don't, I want you to understand, you don't have to deserve God's ear. You don't have to prove that you're worth being listened to by God. Now, that should be good news for us. But how often, how often do we come to God in prayer and we kind of try to build our case and explain why God should answer our prayer because we're doing so well and we're doing our best and we're trying so hard. So, God, please listen to us. Anybody ever done something like that? I'm the only one. Sure. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like we kind of build our case, like somehow we're deserving of an answer. And the good news is you don't have to deserve God's attention. He doesn't want you to come. And in fact, you, you read this, this prayer and it doesn't really sound like much of a prayer at all. What it sounds more like is like, like a spiritual resume. He stood and prayed to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I mean, after all, God, you've got to listen to me. He said, who are you trying to convince? You're trying to convince God? You're trying to convince yourself? It really doesn't read, read like much of a prayer at all. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus uses the words. He prayed to himself, which is pretty much what he did. And the thing about his prayer is that there's no shred of honesty about it. He's so build, busy building his resume, building his case, making his plea, letting himself stand well before God that he never makes a request. He never admits any need. He never asks for anything. It's like, why are you even bothering? Sometimes we feel like it's all on us when it comes to prayer and that we have to convince God that we're worth listening to. And the good news is you don't have to do that. In fact, he doesn't want you to do that. What he wants you to do is to come to him just the way that you are. Not the way you hope to be, not the way you try to be, not the way you pretend to be, just the way that you are. See, one of the things about this prayer is there is no revealing of his heart. There's no no questioning of his motives. 
There's no honest expression of his need. There is nothing there that, that gives any indication that he is really in a conversation with God, which is what prayer is really all about. It's about connecting with him. It's about being able to be honest with him. And there's no shred of that anywhere in his prayer. He has so deceived himself that he thinks it's all about his accomplishment. And he is measuring everything by the externals. And there is no speaking at all of his heart. And he was truly honest with himself and took the time to examine his heart. He would find that he was a pretty judgmental kind of guy. But he doesn't do that. See, we are really, really good at deceiving ourselves. And part of prayer is coming before God and just honestly opening ourselves up for His examination. And that is one thing He does not do. We are so good at deceiving ourselves. We are excellent at self-deception. I do, um, when I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling, one of the things that I do um, with every couple is I have them take what's called the Taylor Johnson Temperament Analysis Test. It's about 180 questions that you have to answer about yourself. And then I have you answer it about your spouse or your intended spouse. And it's really, really interesting. And, and the makers, the designers of this test know that, that we have this self-centered bias, this self-serving bias in, in every one of us. And it makes it hard for us to truly be honest with ourselves. And every question, 180 questions, there's only basically three possible answers. It's a plus, yes, this generally is true about me. It's a minus, it's, no, that's not me at all. Or there's a little bubble for mid. It's like, well, I'm not really sure. But what's built into the test is what's called the STEN or the attitude score. And that's on a scale of 1 to 10. And you can tell by the way people are answering certain questions that are in the test how they're evaluating themselves. And on a scale of 1 to 10, if somebody has a STEN score of like 8, 9, or 10, it's like they're giving themselves the benefit of the doubt on every question. <laughs> I know this is the way I should be. I know this is the way I try to be. And, and I'm really working at it. So yeah, I'll give myself a plus. If people have a STEN score of like one, two, or three, it's like they're being really hard on themselves. And if, they never, if, if it came to one of those mids and they had to decide one way or the other, they go to the negative. Because we have this difficulty being honest with ourselves. Anybody ever taken one of those kind of personality tests? Do you ever find it difficult to do that? It's like, I, I, I don't know how to answer this because sometimes I'm like this and sometimes I'm not because we're so good at deceiving ourselves. And we're so good at our deceiving ourselves that when we come before God in prayer, we're kind of deceiving Him as well. He says, listen, God doesn't want you to come to Him the way you pretend to be. He says you can come to Him just the way that you are. In fact, if you're not coming to Him honestly and openly, then you're really not coming to Him at all. He talked about this in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. In other words, they're not really interested in connecting with God. What they're really interested in is what other people think about them and how spiritual they are. Jesus is saying, don't pray that way. Don't pray like that. He accepts you just the way that you are, and he wants you to come just the way that you are. So come to him honestly. God hears honest prayers that come from our heart. And closely related to that is he listens to prayers that are prayed with humility. Humility is closely related to honesty. Now, 
on one side, the one thing that keeps us from, from connecting with God is our pretense of trying to be better than we are, trying to prove that we're better than we are. At the other extreme is sometimes we look at ourselves so negatively that we have a hard time believing that God would even listen to us. And that's not quite the same thing as humility. Humility is just honestly saying, I've got need. I'm not perfect. I need your help. See, contrast the Pharisee's prayer with the tax collector. It says the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Sometimes it's our feelings of worthlessness. It's our feelings of inadequacy. It's our feelings of, of guilt or shame that would keep us from coming to God. And one of the things Jesus is saying is, yeah, come honestly, but come humbly the way that you are. And know that you're praying to a merciful God and he loves to hear you ask for his help. In fact, Jesus goes on, he says, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. Now that would come as a shock to his listeners because they're listening to him tell these stories and they're probably thinking to themselves, well, certainly this guy who, who fasts you know, every week and, and gives a tenth of all he has, certainly he deserves an answer to his prayer. Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not about that. It's this guy who was honest and humble, admitting his need and asking for help. He's the one that went home with his prayer answered. God wants you to come to him just the way that you are, not the way you pretend to be, and be honest about your need. Heard it a number of years ago saying, he is the one safe place you can take your failures. And if you sometimes feel like God won't listen to me after all, look what I've done or where I've been or how many times I've messed up, Jesus is saying, don't feel that way. Come to him. Come to him just the way that you are. Come to him, even with your need. See, what humility really is, is the acknowledgement about the truth about ourselves. I mean, so much of who I am, so much of who you are, are things we have very little control over. The country we were born in, our intelligence, whatever good looks we might have, none of those things are of our doing. They're completely out of our control. And humility comes to God and says, there are so many things in my life that are totally out of my control. I need you. That's what humility is really all about. It's confidence in the character of God, that he is a merciful God, that he loves to hear your prayers, that he wants you to admit your need. He wants you to acknowledge your failures. He wants you to confess your sin. It's the kind of prayer he loves to listen to. And that's why Jesus said, so everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's only people who are honest and humble enough to admit their need that are truly ready to receive what God has for them. That's in essence what he's saying. Now, that kind of makes sense, okay? That's, that's a little easier to understand. I can understand God wants me to come honestly, and he wants me to come humbly. But what is this story about the widow and the judge? That one's kind of a head scratch. That one doesn't make much sense. What is Jesus trying to tell us about God? What is he saying? Is, is God like this slimeball judge who doesn't care about justice and doesn't care about people and, and really doesn't want to get, be bothered with us and will only give us the time if we just kind of keep pestering them long enough? Is that what he's saying? No. It's one of these parables. Some parables are told to compare and some are told to contrast. 
And this is kind of like the parable that Jesus told about um, the neighbor coming to his, his neighbor, uh, the guy coming to his neighbor in need of, of a loaf of bread in the middle of the night. It's, it's one of those. It's one of those much more. It's a contrast. It's not God isn't like this judge, but he's saying God wants us to pray prayers persistently. Now, how do those two go together? How does honesty and humility go together with persistence? Because persistence sounds like, God, you owe me. God, I'm going to keep pestering you until you give me something. I'm going I'm to just keep at it because you've got to pay me. You've got to take care of me. You gotta, you gotta. How do you do that with humility? And I think it's because sometimes we focus when we read that story on the wrong character. We focus on, on the judge as if God's, Jesus is telling us about the character of God. But really, I think the focus of the parable is not on the judge. It's on... It's on the widow. See, the widow has absolutely no pull. She has no leverage. She has no influence. She has nothing. She has been wronged. She has suffered an injustice, and she has no way to remedy the situation. She is totally without any abilities to fend for herself. She is totally dependent on this judge to bring justice. And it is her plea, knowing that this is so desperate and there is nothing that she can do about it except rely on a judge who won't even give her justice. And that's what he's saying. In fact, he, he explained it right away. At the very front, he said, this is why he told the parable, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Within the context of honesty and humility, he says, now pray persistently. Intensely. Keep at it. That God is not bothered by your persistence. Now, I got to tell you, I don't fully understand all that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why God wants me to be persistent. Why does he keep wanting me to pray? He knows I get tired of these prayers. He must get tired of listening to them. Why has he put such a premium on persistence? And I think it goes all the way back to who we are. See, because we are the kind of people that want instant answers, don't we? I mean, Philip Zimbardo, um, professor at uh, Stanford University, has been doing a study. At, at the level of emotional frustration people have if their computer takes more than 30 seconds to boot up. <laughs> Anybody experience that? Yeah? I have a friend, a number of years ago, he, he was at a, green, he was at a, a stoplight. And, and there was somebody behind him. And the minute, the, like the very second the stoplight turned green, the guy behind him just laid on the horn. And he, being a very good Christian, didn't get out and pound him, didn't flip him off. What he did was put it in park, opened his car door, went around and popped open the hood. <laughs> a little passive aggressive there. But, but we're so impatient. And the truth of the matter is, if we don't get what we want right away, we just move on. Don't we? And I think one of the things that God wants us to understand about prayer, and I think this is, this is where I want to hone in on, because this is where God has been challenging me. How much do I care about the things I'm praying for? Honestly. Because the truth of the matter, I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks now. The truth of the matter, most of my prayers... Or mamby-pamby, wishy-washy. If God doesn't answer, I'll figure out another way anyway. And I think what Jesus is saying is, how desperate are you 
for God's intervention in your life? What kind of prayers? Let me, in fact, let me ask you the question, because I've been asking myself the question for the last couple of weeks. What kind of prayers do I pray? Do I pray real simple, easy prayers that I kind of give God an out, because if he doesn't come through, I'll figure out something else, and life will go on, and it'll be okay? Or am I truly praying God-sized prayers, prayers that are desperate for God's intervention, prayers that if God does not come through, I am sunk? Am I daring enough? Do I care enough? Am I passionate enough about anything in my prayers that I am so, so passionate about it that I will not quit praying until God comes through because I need him to come through because that's the widow's prayer. See, that's the widow's prayer. She has no other recourse. She is totally dependent and desperate for a judge to bring justice. Do I pray those, kind, pray those kinds of prayers? Do you? I think those are the kinds of prayers God wants us to pray. Not easy, life will work itself out anyway if it doesn't happen, prayers. But prayers that say, God, I am totally depending on you. I am taking a step of faith. I am moving out here. I am doing something that I, if, I, if you do not show up, I am, I am I'm in deep, deep trouble. I've been asking myself that this week. What kinds of prayers do I pray? Because see, if all of my prayers are kind of like, well, if God doesn't come through, something else will work out and it'll all be okay, then why am I bothering? Now, fortunately, God gives me the freedom to come to him with everything. But I want to ask you, and I'm asking myself this, and in fact, I want to challenge you a little bit. Pray some big God-sized prayers. Pray bold prayers. Ask for things that you need God to come through on. Because if he doesn't, you're in deep trouble. Take steps of faith that are so dependent that says, God, I need you to come through in this moment. I need you to break through. I need you to touch my friend's life. I need you to bring, I need, whatever it is. But pray some bold prayers. Because if we're not praying bold prayers, then we're not praying about things we really care about anyway. Honestly. It happens to me. Sometimes like between first and second service or maybe right after first service, someone will come to me and she goes, and say, I, I, I need to talk with you. I just, I, this, this is an emergency. This is a pressing thing. I really need to talk. Do we have some? And, and, and I can tell as we're talking that this is going to be something that's going to take more time than we have right in this moment. And there's a lot of people coming and going right now and we don't really have time. So I will say something like, you know what? I want to spend some, this is going to take more time than we have right now. Would you give me a call this week or would you email me? I don't have my calendar right here, but if you'll email me, we'll set up a time and we'll meet and we'll talk and we'll do whatever, whatever you need. And, it, and it's, by the way, this is not my way of putting people off, okay? <laughs> but here's what I find, that what is a, such an emergency on a Sunday morning and I have to talk to you and it's so important and I ask him, would you just give me a call and let's set up an appointment so we can really have some time with it. How often, how often I never get that email. I never get that phone call. Well, it seemed like such a pressing need at that very moment. The next day is not important enough. Not afternoon is not even important enough to send an email to say, hey, can we get together this week? And I go away thinking, well, how important was that? And I wonder if that's not what happens between us and God. It's so important. We're so desperate for it. 
But and we pray maybe for a day, maybe for two days, maybe, maybe we'll even pray for a full week, but we don't get the answer that we want or we don't see the breakthrough that we're looking for. And then we just kind of say, oh, well, how important it is it? If it's important enough. And we are so intense about it and so passionate about it that we will not give up until God moves. Do you pray those kinds of prayers? Let me tell you how much this has touched me and challenged me. I started to pray God-sized prayers again. I used to do it a lot more. But I got a, got, kind of got to a point where it was kind of like, okay, God, I got it under control now. I don't really need you. It's tough for a pastor to admit. And so this week, in my prayer journal, I started praying different kinds of prayers. And I'm, I'm not an expert at this by any means, and I don't fully understand it. But I know what God is talking to me about is start praying some God-sized kind of prayers. Start asking me for real stuff. Start caring enough that you start, that you start caring about it as much as I care about it. Start asking for things where you really need me. Yeah, you can get, yeah, the other stuff, that's all good. But start praying real God-sized prayers. I want to read to you the kinds of prayers I'm praying these days. And, and I'm just learning at this, believe me. Here's my prayer this week. This is what I'm praying now. Lord, I am beginning to pray now that you would use this church to bring thousands of people into a meaningful relationship with you. I am praying that we would have such an impact on our communities that people who don't yet know you see in us, your church, your people, such an example of grace and mercy and caring and generosity that it would create such a hunger in them that they need to know the life which you want to give them. I am praying that by the end of this year, we would have engaged with us every weekend at least 700 people in worship, learning and actively following and serving you. I pray that you would open the floodgates of heaven to provide the financial resources for us to truly serve our community with generosity, with grace, and with tangible expressions of your love. I pray that you would stir your people to action, that you would move us to wholehearted discipleship, to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities in ways that serve you and your kingdom. I pray that you would raise up workers for your harvest from among us, that you would give us a kingdom mentality that, you're, that we would see with your eyes of compassion, people and what they need, and that we would actively work to see your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth, in our communities, and in our lives, just as it is in heaven. Lord, please, please, Give us the strength, the resolve, and the, <laughs> to truly change the way people view the church, not for our reputation, but for yours, so that when our friends and our neighbors and our families look at our lives, they get a real good glimpse of you. Lord, do this, please. Those are God-sized prayers. And is God going to answer those in the way that I want? I don't know. Is he going to do it in the timing? I don't know. 
I don't know. But I know what he's calling me to do. He's calling me to start praying some God-sized prayers. And I don't know how he's going to answer them. And I don't know the timing on all this. But I will tell you this. If you had asked me two months ago. If over 160 people would make a step of faith and make a commitment in their finances to God, I would have told you, I don't think that's going to happen. But we prayed for it. And if you had told me a year ago that we would have 60 people get baptized and taking that big step of discipleship in their lives, I would have told you a year ago, I don't know if that's going to happen. But we prayed for it. And if you had told me a year ago that we would be able to bless needy families in our communities with tens of thousands of dollars just because people had a heart for hurting people, I would have told you, I don't know if that's going to happen. But we prayed for it. And if you had told me 15 years ago that we would be meeting on a 20-acre campus with all the resources that we have in this church facility right now, I would have told you, I don't know if that's going to happen. But we prayed for it. And if you had told me 25 years ago that I would be planting a church and people would actually show up, I would have told you, I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> but I prayed for it. You see, I am at a point where I'm tired of mamby-pamby, wishy-washy prayers. I want to pray God prayers. I want to see God's power move in our church I want to see us have an impact on our community. I want to see people come to know him and give their lives to him and follow them wholeheartedly and serve his kingdom in this world. That's the kind of prayers I'm praying these days. And I'm inviting you to pray them with me. I'm inviting you to pray some God-sized prayers for yourself, for your family, for your church, for your community, for this world. For his kingdom's sake. I think that's the kinds of prayers God listens for. Not demanding. Not expecting. Not trying to prove that we're worthy of it. But simply honestly. With humility. Saying God would you do something. Would you do something. So here's my challenge to you. Start praying some God-sized prayers. And I'm going to make it very practical for you. Inside your program, there's this little card. Pull it out. Because we're going to get real, real practical right now. We're calling this my Easter pick six. There are six weeks between now and Easter. I'm going to ask you on these six lines to write the names of six people you care about, you love, you know who need to know Jesus. People that you are longing to come into a relationship with him and discover his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. Now I'm going to ask you to write six names down on this piece of paper and take this home and put it on your mirror or in the dashboard of your car, someplace where you're going to see it every day. And I'm going to challenge you to pray for six weeks every day for these six people. Not just a one-up. Not just I'm driving in my car, hey God, would you bless so-and-so? But pray. Pray with persistence. Because here's what I'll find happens when I start doing things like that. My prayers start out, God, would you draw that person to yourself? And then after I'm praying that for a while, 
it begins to dawn on me, I've got a part in this. And so I start to pray, God, could you use me to help bring this person to you? And then my prayers become much more personal. God, what could I specifically do to be a part of this person coming to know you? And then it becomes prayers like, God, I'm going to be with them today. Would you give me the sensitivity to truly listen and to care and to pick up the signals that they are giving out about their need? And would you give me the boldness to step up and pray with them, pray for them, care about them? You see, that's what happens with persistent prayer. It becomes more than a request. It becomes personal. And I think that's what God wants to happen in our hearts. I don't understand all of it, but I think one of the reasons that God puts such an emphasis on persistent prayer is for what it does in us as well as what it does in other people. And so I'm going to ask you. In fact, I'm going to do more than ask you. I'm going to challenge you. Take this home. Think of six people you know. And for the next six weeks, pray persistently every day for those six people and see what God will do. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Thank you.